As has been mentioned before, it's a very long way, both physically and conceptually, from the paddocks, the wool shed, and the sheep yards where wool is grown and harvested, to the retail shelves of major world cities where wool is eventually sold. Countries such as Japan have been an important stable market for wool, and South Korea a growing market. Samuel Cockaday is in charge of both these markets for Woolmark. Let's hear what's happening in these key areas. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So Japan and Korea are both cold countries with large populations of wealthy consumers. Samuel reminds us of just how big these markets are for wool. Japan is 125 million people. Korea is 51 million people. Uh, very large, obviously, affluent, stable markets. Um, markets that get very cold in the winter, which is great for us. So they're really ticking all the boxes where you have affluence, uh, cold weather, and large population. Um, very urban populations. I think 93% of the population lives in a city in Japan which means it's a very dense market. Um, obviously, a lot of brand, a lot of wool consumption. Both Japan and Korea have been uh, major buyers of wool over the past few decades. Very faithful, they do appreciate the, the like quality. Um, and they do very much appreciate the fiber. Um, Japan is the world's third largest GDP. Yes, we sort of forget that it's such we, a, we, such a we, big we forget, economy. Yeah, and, and Korea is the <coughs> 13th GDP in the world, but they are the third largest economy in, in Asia, uh, following uh, China and Japan. And no one really thinks about Korea in those terms, but if you actually look at the size of the apparel market it's in, in Korea, it's almost as big in dollar value as Japan. It's just a lot of fashion, um, which is great for us, and that market is growing, and... The big difference between Japan and Korea, Japan is very mature. Um, Korea is a very mature economy, but when it comes to fashion, they really come from synthetic fibers. And as they are going more premium, they are looking at being, buying better fibers. So that's quite exciting for us. Um, Japan is the second largest importer of wool suits in the world. They are the third largest importer of wool knitwear and the first largest importer of overall wool apparel. But just you know to to understand mm. how important. So they're still given a very formal culture. They're still wearing wool suits, whereas say here in Australia, people are addressing down and less formally. But in Japan, people are still dressing very formally. Is that? Well, relatively speaking, yes. Um, but unfortunately, we've seen the same trend, and a little bit behind. But we've seen the same trend as we've seen in other markets, especially after COVID and during COVID, where people were forced to work from home. Um, and people didn't really come back to the office wearing suits like they were before. Mm. But it's still more formal than other markets. People won't show up in the office in a polo or in a t-shirt. Um, so they will, they will wear a jacket, they will wear slacks. So there's still a market for us. There is um, clearly a, a renewed interest in made to measure. So people will buy less, but they will buy better. And that's good for us because if they don't want to buy five polyester suits and they want to buy one nice um, merino, um, Australian merino suit instead and keep that for a longer time, that's, you know, that, that's pretty good for us. So the market overall has, gone, has shrunk significantly, but the share of, of merino 
uh, I think uh, it will maintain, it will stay there. Um, but that's okay because there's many other opportunities. I will talk a little bit more about that uh, in a minute. Um, as I said, those are mostly very large consumer markets. And so a lot of what we do here, I mean, Japan and Korea, um, is marketing and business development. Uh, a big part of our role is to work with the best brands, designers, retailers in each, you know, in each market, be it sports, outdoors, um, of course, formal wear, and, and just what we call daily casual wear. You could put Uniqlo in that in that category. Yeah, it's, actually, and, it's, just, right. it's what I just wrote down. Did you yeah. notice that? Uh, and, and we just uh, work with these people to encourage them to put more wool in their collection and encourage them to promote it. Sometimes we promote it with them, but what we really try to do is leverage their spend because those guys have huge marketing budget. It's a matter of convincing them and making them realize there are opportunities to uh, put more wool in their collection and mostly if you promote it, if they actually spend some dollars there, they will increase their sales. We measure that, it's very clear. We have a lot of cases we built over the years. If a brand promotes actually wool, people will love it and, and the sell through, the sell uplift year on year, we measure all of that, it very clearly goes up. So that's, that's you know, it's, 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 it's interesting, it's a challenge because some people do not understand, so sometimes it takes a long time, especially if they are not using wool, but it's very rewarding to work with a brand that had nothing to do with natural fibers, had nothing to do with merino, and see them grow their collection. And I'll give you an example. Um, do you know Mizuno? Have you uh, heard of um, the Mizuno brand? No. So Mizuno is the second largest sports and outdoors brand in Japan, coming after ASICS. And they do all kinds of sports. They do running, they do baseball. Um, they are the, one of the two market leaders. So they have hundreds of stores, uh, very big volumes. And um, we pitched them uh, Merino for their base layer. So they have a best-selling collection of uh, synthetic fiber made base layers that they started 30 years ago. And this year was the 30th anniversary and we worked with them to incorporate Merino wool for the first time in their base layer collection. So that's a blend. It's 60% Merino wool, 40% of their proprietary fiber, synthetic. But that's exciting because they did uh, uh, quite a significant number of products. Um, we are promoting that with them this winter and they are loving it so much that they already decided to double quantities next year and uh, add two new lines that incorporate wool in their base layer collection next year. So that's a big win for us because we went from zero to uh, tens of thousands of products. So these companies that are, that are, uh, that are, that are very much based, on, based their business on synthetic fibers that are now moving into merino, how uh, committed are they to that, and what where does sustainability come into this? It's um, uh, it's interesting going into stores uh, that are talking sustainability, but very hard to find any merino in their collection. But companies such as Uniqlo have had wool in their collection for a very long time, so it's an interesting landscape. Um, mm. Do these big companies, are they willing to put their money where their mouth is and, and walk uh, the, the path of sustainability generally? Or it, it must be interesting for you to, 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 to um, be in this market where uh, wool is a lot more uh, expensive than synthetics. It is, it's, a very good, uh, it's a very good point, it's a very good question. 
we're getting there, um, but not quite yet. And this is why the, the role we have, you know, the work we do in those markets is so important. Um, because it's very early days, frankly, in terms of sustainability in Japan and Korea. People kind of talk about it, but the kind of greenwashing um, that you will see 15 years ago in Western markets mm. is still what we witness um, in, in, in Japan right now. Um, people want to do more. Are they willing to spend more on it? Not quite yet, but it will happen. Um, one very interesting thing with Japan is they typically are five years behind any consumer trends. They would, they would create some consumer trends in fashion, for example. But in, when it, tends to, um, it comes to um, ethical consumption, for example, uh, they tend to be quite behind, which is great because that means if you're looking at what's happening in the Western markets, you pretty much see the future. And our role is to go to all these brands and make it very clear that there are opportunities for them. Um, and so you were talking about Uniqlo uh, and other brands, and um, they're doing, they're using Merino for different reasons. Uniqlo came from uh, an image of fast fashion, low cost, so for them, Merino is very much their premium um, credential, and that will never stop. You know, uh, we, we talk to them very regularly. They are probably one of the largest single consumer of Merino wool in the world, and, and they've been quite faithful to that. Um, when you look at sports brands, it's been very interesting. We've been approaching everyone in the markets for almost seven years, and there's been a major shift right at the end of COVID. So we would go and meet people, pitch wool, make presentation, and they would just look at us and say, yeah, we'll we, we think about it. Um, and then COVID ended, uh, and people started calling us back and say, well, can, can, we, can we come and, and see you in the office, and can you show those samples you showed us a while ago again. And uh, we've been having great discussions with all those product development and those merchandising teams. And we've seen that most of the key sports brands, um, both in Japan and Korea, are now trialing wool. They're launching small lines. And we're supporting them, of course, to make sure that they market it properly and they are successful. But it's working. So it, it's starting. So it's very exciting because I think a lot of foreign brands, Western brands, have already started playing with wood. But it's just beginning in Japan and Korea, and there's a lot of potential volume there, so that's, that's really exciting for us. It's really interesting to hear that Japan is, is behind in, in trends in fashion when it is so far ahead in technology. There's such an interesting cultural difference. But these companies that you speak of, Samuel, particularly the sports brands that have built themselves on synthetic fibres, do they not have an internal conflict? Because if they start moving towards Merino and talk about sustainability and the biodegradability of fibres, etc., circularity, they're really saying that 95% of their collection is not sustainable. So how do you talk brands through that conflict? Well, because their consumers are not so sensitive on, on those topics, yes, they don't see any contradiction. So uh, they will sell some... Um, Synthetic fibers, and this is highly technical, and they will, uh, and mostly they come from a functionality point of view anyway. So when we develop, for example, that uh, uh, base layer with Mizuno, the the idea for them was to launch the warmest base layer they've ever done, and and that proprietary fiber they're working with, which is called Breast Thermo, uh, is meant to be extremely warm, but they wanted to do something even better using wool. So for them, it's not um, about opposing. Uh, natural versus synthetic is just about functionality. 
Samuel, when we really sort of first met, we you brought out a, a designer uh, with a, a label called Facetasm. He was a very, very interesting Japanese designer, uh, very cutting edge, very different. To take him around to shearing sheds and meat farmers was, was brilliant. So as an example of what you do, what how has that uh, relationship evolved and what's been the, 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 the benefit to wool growers of, of bringing that man uh, and that designer to Australia and showing him where wool comes from? Right, well, um, both in Japan and Korea, most of the population is very urban and I think there's a quite big disconnect between where things come from and nature in general um, and the way people live their life. So regardless of if, if you're a sourcing manager, if you're a designer, if you're a merchandiser, people just don't really understand the provenance of things anymore. And uh, they tend to, it's big blend for them. They just look at price. They don't, sometimes functionality, but not really provenance. And when you bring people in Australia and have them visit properties, it's just eye-opening. It's a life-changing experience for them. And it stays. Um, there's no question. So uh, that designer you were mentioning, um, every time we talk to him, you know, he's, he's a life convert. He's an ambassador now. And uh, we've brought other brands uh, over the past few years, including one of the largest apparel groups in Japan called uh, Onward. And that's been insanely beneficial for us over the years. Uh, we've already had three marketing collaborations and we are promoting directly because of that trip that was eye-opening for one of their key managers uh, and, and made him realize the importance of this supply chain and the beauty of it and the value of it. Um, that convinced him to, to do these big marketing campaigns with us every year. So we already worked with them three years in a row and we're looking at working with them again. And again, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of um, Merino products, most of them Woomark certified. Um, so it is absolutely, I, I think it is essential uh, that we find as many ways as we can to connect the brands with, with the land. Okay. It was uh, it was a very interesting trip because I remember um, we we went to a number of farms and went to working shearing sheds and the thing that really stood out for him was what the shearer was wearing. Yes, um, and like the dungarees and his singlet and uh, the cut of the singlet at the back. Yeah, and he uh, and he went on and he designed something did for, he his, really? for his Paris collection. <laughs> right, so he did all the way from um, uh, the shearing shed to Paris, literally. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Excellent. So, Samuel, what would you like to say to, to wool growers about the future for wool uh, in downtown Tokyo and downtown Seoul? Um, what, uh, what, what does the future hold for wool in these two very important markets? Oh, I think it's uh, exciting times because, uh, as I say, a number of brands that we're not looking into wool uh, before are starting to do it. So we see gross uh, potential there. And the other thing is the sustainability trend hasn't really picked up yet. And that's really something we look forward to. We see the premises of it, we know it's gonna happen. And that's great because it's gonna be a fantastic time to be selling Merino in those markets when consumers really start demanding it. Fantastic, well, um, more power to your arm. Lovely to see you again and uh, all the very best. Um, thanks for what you do for wool growers in, in these two big markets. My pleasure, thank you, Marius. Samuel Cockaday, Country Manager for Japan and Korea with Woolmark. And I hope that gives you a good insight into these important markets for Australian wool. You may have noticed regular country marketing updates in the Beyond the Bale magazine, which I hope you receive 
either physically or increasingly digitally. But you can also follow Woolmark and AWI activity through various social media channels. And if you have a topic you'd like us to follow up, email me at theyarnatwool.com. I really enjoy hearing from you. But from me, Murray's coming for now. Thanks for having a yarn with us.